This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most. Thank you for everyone who tunes in all over the world. Incredible to get the emails from different countries. I love the reach of the modern internet. One of the better aspects of it and keep suggesting guests or sharing your stories are very generous. Thanks to the Patreons and the publicists. Shout out to Sarah today who brought us today's guest who's incredible. I love what she's doing in the world. She's an intuitive healer. It's her first visit and coming to us from Brooklyn, New York. Ebony Banks, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited I get to chat with you today. Oh, me too. How are you doing today and over the last couple of years, just coping with all the multi-pronged challenges of these times? I mean, COVID for me has been um, really interesting because in 2019, my uh, I was kind of ready to come out of my shell. You know, I was starting to come out of my shell because I've been on this massive healing journey for about the past you know, 10 years or so. And um in 2019, I was really ready to be social and be out in the world again because so much of the past has been me spending time alone. And so it was interesting that in 2020, you know, when I'm ready to be in the world, um, I could not be. So I had to go back into my cocoon for a little while. And it was um, it was good. It was good for me. I just focused on work. You know, all my healing stuff was pretty much in a very healthy place at that time. So it wasn't introspective or anything for me. It was really just me working and getting ready, more ready to to share my message of like my healing journey with the world. And the pandemic was a very unique challenge. We hadn't had one in like a hundred years or so and really tough on mental health for a lot of people. Yes, especially people that live with people. I luckily have lived alone at that time. So it wasn't, you know, I feel like the challenges that people had that live with people and the challenges that people had that live alone were challenges nonetheless, but very different kinds of challenges. Was there any catalyst for you to to decide I now have to do this deep healing journey? Oh, goodness. No. I mean, for you know, I have a really strong relationship with my subconscious self. And, you know, I, I the way I process, like in hindsight, the way I process how, how my healing journey began Um, it really started happening subconsciously initially, you know, because I'm highly intuitive, have been since I was a child. And I was just guided to all of these things that I've never done before. Um, Didn't even like, you know, some of the things that I was guided to do. And um, they changed my life over, you know, several years. And so it really helped me to unrepress which is such an odd dynamic that it's not even a real word. People are familiar with repression, but people are not as familiar with unrepressing because it's just, it's not particularly common, but that's exactly what happened with me and and my healing. I I unrepressed major trauma that I held on to for 18 years. When did you first realize you had this great gift, this great inner connection? Oh goodness, probably as a child. You know, definitely as a child. I mean, I would say, you know, as young as about six years old, I used to, um, you know, I knew I was aware of things that people didn't tell me. And I didn't know how I knew. Um, I just knew that I knew things that other people didn't know. 
And I would like hear it confirmed in conversations and things. And um, I thought it made me bad. <laughs> for, for years, I thought it made me bad. I thought I was not supposed to know things other people didn't know or things that people didn't tell me. And so I must be bad because I know these things. What gave you the strength to then lean into it and turn it into a blessing? Oh, it's been a lifelong journey. So it's definitely something that did not happen easily. I mean, I struggle with it. You know, as a child, it was more like, okay, yeah, yeah, go away. You know, I didn't really want to know what was happening. And then as an adolescent, I actually thought it left me, right? Like, I thought I didn't, I wasn't able to do whatever I was doing anymore. And so I was comforted by that, you know, and just had like a pretty normal adolescence. And then um, it wasn't until I met um, someone in my like middle 20s and she kind of opened me up to like this world that I knew existed, but I hadn't really explored. And, you know, she accepted like the way I process life because it makes you think about life differently than most people. And like I was processing life this way, even though I wasn't um, really acknowledging this thing. So, you know, she introduced me to like this spiritual world that I was really um, connected to. And I mean, from there, things just really took off because I started to accept myself and not think of myself as um, as bad because the bad thing I held on to for a really long time, even until my 20s, <laughs> you know, so I started to not think of myself as bad. And I started to recognize that this is actually a benefit, you know, of being a human. And um, I want to like, I want to use this benefit that I have. What is Claire tangency? I love that word. Oh, thanks. It's it's not my word, but I mean, I've been clairtangent um, for a while now. And Claire is, there are multiple Claire senses. And so a lot of people are familiar with the more popular Claire's, I like to call them, like clairvoyant, um, which or claircognizant. And the word Claire, C-L-A-I-R, it just means clear, right? And so tangent means touch. And so clear tangent is clear touch. And so my gifts, one of them is that, um, you know, when I'm focused, it doesn't happen in casual touch, you know, when I'm like hugging someone casually, but when I'm focused and I'm in that space, I can receive information about people through touch. I have that a little bit too. I can put my hand on someone and know something that will help me understand them better and have more compassion or to reveal a truth if it's, or if they're open to it. Yes, absolutely. And people who are clear tangent typically experience other clear senses as well. So that's an unusual aspect of people who are clear tangent. Um, so we can also be like clairsentient, which is, you know, when you're feeling something um, and also clairvoyant, which is seeing. Because for me, when I'm with a client, I'm seeing images in my mind's eye and I'm feeling like all those things are happening at the same time when I'm touching. When you have a deep trauma does that open you to these deeper feelings and deeper intuitions if you then heal the trauma? Because it almost feels like it's a wound or a, a something that breaks through our theory of layers. And I think it was Rumi or one of the poets who said the wound is where the light gets in. Yes, it was Rumi. And I love that you bring this up because that's how I process it. You know, I think for me in particular, I look at my trauma as an offering in a sense you know, because it really helps me to delve deeper into who I am, who I truly am, not my gender, not my race, you know, all these like physical aspects of me, but who the everlasting part of me is. 
And so, yeah, that's absolutely, that's exactly how I see it. And, you know, I think for people who have experienced trauma, trauma is so intense, (laughs) you know, that if you have the capacity to overcome it, it it kind of makes you, um, it makes you acknowledge like all the beauty in life. Like that's the only way to overcome it, you know, is to, is by acknowledging beauty. And so, yeah, there's so many, there's so many analogies around how trauma is, um, is, is light, you know, it's really, it's, it's a mechanism that's used to get us to express greater love. And now we're just barely discovering how trauma plays such a role in our development, our, the choices we make, where we're shut down, you name it, PTSD. It's incredible. And I know a lot of people who are dealing with their trauma, getting it healed, doing different kind of healing work or EMDR or deep body work, because it really will affect you. I was with somebody not too long ago, and we just started talking, and she had this deep visceral reaction that had come from her childhood, and she completely shut down. She was crying. She looked younger. She was like cuddled over. And then it passed. And I said, what was that? She goes, I don't know. But then she started crying and she realized she had all this trauma. She wasn't really aware of what happened, but something happened. Yeah, maybe it was repressed trauma. You know, that's um, that was my my experience. I repressed it for 18 years. Repression is a very interesting thing because a lot of people confuse it with suppression. And they're very different. You know, um, repression is is mental. It, I think of it as like a protective mechanism, right? It's a coping mechanism. And suppression is emotional, you know, like if you don't want to make yourself cry, you know, and you suppress your tears, right? But repression, um, it happens subconsciously. So the mind, you know, the mind doesn't allow the person to become fully aware of this horrible thing that they experience because they're not in this space where they can cope with it in a way that's healthy. So I think of repression as being like a, it's a protective mechanism. Yeah, because if you're a child, you can't cope with your caregivers or someone you trust mortally threatening your life. So you just, it's almost like shock in the body. It keeps you safe. Yes, yes. But at the same time, you're acting out, right? That was the case for me. I was acting out in so many ways, but I didn't know why, you know? And, um, you know, lo and behold, I, I learned, you know, the exact reason why. And it made so much sense, but... So it still lives. It's still active in the person in a way. It's just not consciously active. How does the listener get in touch with whatever this happened to them? Because we know anybody that's in the earth spectrum is scarred and traumatized because it's super traumatizing here. How do they first get in touch with that in a safe way? Do you have, I know there's no one way, but do you have any recommendation? Oh goodness. I mean, there's so many ways it will really depend on the person. I think, you know, for me, acceptance of my non-physical self was a really big part of it. You know, just acknowledging that there is a innate divine intelligence that we all possess, <laughs> you know, and it's really important to get in touch with that part of yourself. And, you know, spending time alone is a great way to do it. And I know so many people have really busy lives and are unable to spend time alone, but even if it's just the drive in your car on your way home, in the shower, you know, whenever you can, spending time alone, because that really allows us to hear from that other part of ourselves, you know? 
Um, what are some other tips for doing that? I mean, meditation is great. Yoga, you know, people that are already doing things that are introspective are doing exactly that. They're tapping into that, that greater intelligence. Yeah, I think those are the big ones. I mean, for me, it was really about spending time alone, you know, and I, I, yeah, that's, that was a big one for me. Why is it so challenging for people to be alone or alone without a device, alone without the noise, the TV, to just be walking out in a lake and no phone with them? Or why is the silence and the stillness so scary? Well, because that's where all of the memories live. You know, the memories that we do like and the memories that we don't like. And so it's it can be challenging to sit with that and to acknowledge that and to look at the truth of our relationships with people who we love so much and how these things are hurting us and need to be transformed, you know? So I think that's why so many people have a hard time just, just being, you know, because it's it can be really difficult to, to look at what is actually happening in your life. And to feel everything. And I feel that it's important that we do this. Why else are we here? We're not here to numb out. We're here to have these experiences and process them. Because if you don't deal with these traumas and these things, they come back and haunt you. They'll cause diseases. They'll kill you. Yes. Yes. And 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 the, for me, the, the greatest danger is that you won't ever be who you are. <laughs> you know, like you will only be one you know, Paul Samuel Dolman in life. There's only going to be one. This is it. It's you. It's never happening again. It's never happening again. And so it's so important that all of us get to be who we are. You know, we have to remove all of these barriers and things that are in the way because it's not about just being happy and finding your purpose. It's about there's only one you. And we all get to, you know, we all get to experience life in such a greater, more loving capacity when we're all experiencing our, our authentic selves. Because you don't see yourself. I can hear it in a million things you've already said. And I feel the same way. I'm not this character, the social security number, the podcast guy, or my story. That's a small particle, small part of this larger, ineffable, transcendent energy system that's, I don't even, can't even understand it. It's too big. But this is like a nerve ending, feeding all kinds of cool information, feelings, and experiences back into the home computer. So by not identifying as just the one small particle, that changes the whole perspective on being here. Absolutely. It changes the whole perspective. And it, it completely changes your individual life. You know, it changes your life and what you're experiencing and how you feel and how you um how you how you walk through life. So yeah, it's really um it's so profound on so many levels, you know, and where and trauma, it just kind of is the greatest barrier <clears throat> to moving away from all of that. How do you shield yourself being so sensitive and pathetic and open, yet you live in the craziest city in the world? <laughs> so true. You know, I still spend lots of time alone. <laughs> I think that would just be a way of life for me for the rest of my life because it's it feeds me, you know, when I'm by myself. Um and what else? I mean, I meditate daily. You know, I definitely have an appreciation for just being, um, I don't know, I guess the best way to say it is just being like high vibe, you know, like I'm, I definitely, I don't give my attention to, you know, negative television shows where people are killing each other and all these like things that just add on to all these ways of being that we don't want to perpetuate. 
I'm very mindful of where I give my attention and like the music I listen to, the television I watch, um, you know, what I read. So that makes a big difference for me. I, I'm even mindful about how much news I allow, I allow myself to watch, you know, because so often we get caught up into thinking that someone else's experience is our own. You know, and it's really important to you can be empathetic and you can you can watch what someone else is experiencing and still not allow it to come into your reality, you know. So if the news is saying, you know, we're having difficult economic times and there's a recession and, you know, people have the mentality that, oh, you know, I have to be mindful of my money, you know, because, because it's this is happening. Well, it doesn't have to happen to you. <laughs> so, you know, I just really am careful of what I allow myself to absorb. It's interesting you mentioned recession, too, because they've, the media, the fear media, the fear-based media, talking about recession this, recession that, might be in a recession over the last, like, I don't know, 14, 15 months. And it turns out it never came. And we're not in a recession. In fact, everything is good and better than it was. It went the other direction. All the so-called experts, especially economists, are wrong all the time. And, and it's, it's so dangerous that they put that information out there because, you know, people who are less aware then, you know, they really take that information and they, they allow it to impact their day-to-day -day lives, you know? They think that they won't have enough money to do what they want. They won't have the job. They won't find the things. It just contributes to all of this kind of um, lack mentality that keeps us away from our true abundant selves. And the basic premise of it is be very afraid and keep buying things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And that's the point, right? We live in a capitalistic society. It's the nature of being in America. So that's, that's, it's doing what it's supposed to do, you know, but it's our job to find the truth in that and to manage our lives and our experiences and our reality in the way that we choose to. But isn't it all just a giant Ponzi scheme? It looks like it's teetering, like it's going to go down like the Eye of Mordor at the end of that trilogy of the... <laughs> Who knows what is going to happen? I mean, it's going to be wild. <laughs> Sounds like two ETs talking instead of being afraid. Like, wait, wait, do you see the tidal wave coming and the fire or whatever? <laughs> I just know it's happening with me. If you know you're eternal, pull up, see, get some popcorn and be as kind as possible in the meantime. Exactly. Like, sit back and watch the show. You know, like you, it does not have to be your experience. You know, you can be, it's so interesting living in New York City because there's so many different, you know, dimensions happening. You can be just on a subway, right? And there are so many people having multiple experiences living in various dimensions while they're shoulder to shoulder. So, you know, you don't have to, um, you don't have to experience what your neighbor is experiencing. Subway is like this roving underground mobile freak show. Yes. Yes. I'm fascinated by the subway. <laughs> Me too. I love to go down there and watch. And I always have my friends in New York say, don't make eye contact. Don't talk to people. It's like, are you kidding? This is Candyland. <laughs> I'm the same way. I make eye contact and I talk. And I do. And, you know, it can be tricky. <laughs> it can definitely be tricky because, um, you know, you don't know how the other person is going to respond. It's just, you know, there's some of everything on the train. So how do you deal with the ever present ongoing 400 year wait of white supremacy, misogyny, the white male paradigm? You know, they're always trying to take away some rights from you or whatever. Or anyone even and deny history. We don't 
oh, it never happened and we can't teach it either. We can't be both. It's incredible. It's really fascinating to watch that too. I mean, I don't, you know, relate or resonate with any of that. I, I'm very well aware of who I am as a woman, as a black woman, you know, black American woman. And I just know all of that is nonsense. And, you know, in general, divine feminine energy has been making its way onto the planet for so many years. And so I think that the stronger that energy makes itself you know, available and accessible to people, the stronger the other energy that wants to suppress that, you know? So I think it's all in divine order. I expect that as we grow into a more loving culture, there will be an equal, um, an equal severity of people who are not as loving that are also growing. I think it's all happening at the same time. Is that the sort of scientific, metaphysical, you name it, all of it, nature of polarity though i try to keep telling people all the time that jesus buddha you name it you can't change polarity the structure of it for every action or reaction if you have a gandhi you're going to have a hitler if you have a this you're going to have a that it just that's the buffet but where in the buffet do you want to dine from and where on the landscape or the matrix or whatever do you want to live yep exactly i mean and that's that's where our free will comes in right because we're all given the choice. Like, where do you want to focus your attention? What do you want to pay? What do you want to give your attention and your energy to? Because whatever you're doing, whatever you're giving your attention and your energy to is, is what you are allowing to grow in your own life. You know, so we all, we all have a choice here. And so that's, that's, the, that's the fundamental choice everyone has to make in their personal lives. And the Divine Feminine ran the show for a long, long time, and a lot of the Native cultures were run around that paradigm, and it's highly sustainable, cooperative, communal. It's only in the last 50,000 years or so that this thing has reared its head, and if it doesn't change, I I see a great pruning coming. Do you, I know no one knows what's going to happen, but it's almost like facts are facts, science is science. This is unsustainable. You can't keep growing on a finite resource planet and treat the planet like garbage. The planet will be fine, but it will remove the parasite, the cancer aspect. Whatever is in imbalance is always eliminated. Again, natural law. And that's us. So I think uh, facts are facts. I don't know how many or how soon or how severe, but to me, I don't see a way out of that. I don't think the ETs are going to intervene. And even then, they can't change our consciousness. It's going to be really interesting because I agree. I think it's, you know, I think all of this is natural. Everything is cyclical, you know, and it's just going to be a kind of um, the earth is going to continue to purge as as she needs to. <laughs> and, you know, we can we, we're going to have to continue to adapt. You know, COVID was a great example of that. You don't really have fear much, do you? Not anymore. I used to be extremely fearful and especially of death. Um yeah, I was very, very afraid to die. And I, I learned from a woman I had a reading from a few years ago that a lot of highly spiritual women have a fear of death. And she told me that the reason is because in our previous lives, so many of us were killed for standing up for what we believed in. Um, and so, and I know that's very much true for me because I thought I would be like, I had, I literally had ideas and thoughts that I would be killed. I would be martyred in some way in this life as Ebony Banks. Um, I now, of course, know that's not true, and I understand where that was coming from for me. But yeah, I don't have I don't have fear as much anymore, if at all. I'm just really excited and grateful that I chose to come into the planet at you know this time. 
I've heard that specifically too from other healers, and I believe it's true. Yeah. Do you have any past life memories? Have you ever done a regression? Oh, I've done several. <laughs> and, um, you know, they haven't always resonated as strongly as, as you know, one isn't always resonated as strongly as others. However, I had one that was directly connected to my trauma. And it really taught me a lot, too, because oftentimes when we think about our past life experiences, we think about them being, you know, loving. And we were, you know, these benevolent people that did all these wonderful things. And people don't think about, no, we were also the people that were doing the most horrid things, you know. And, um, yeah, I learned about, uh, I guess I can just share it here. It's a bit, it's, it's, it's new. It's a new take on past life. So I'm a rape survivor. And um, my... Uh, the man who raped me was my friend's brother. And um, when I had my past life regression, I learned that I had a son in a previous life, and it was an ancient culture where it was normalized to, um, oh, I'm just forgetting the word right now, when um, the mother, has, when you have sex with your child, there's a term for that. that I'm, so I instigated, oh, incestuous. I instigated an incestuous relationship with my son in a previous life. And the man who raised me in this life was that same soul playing out our role. Yeah, because as a uh, piece of star magic, you wanted to experience both sides of it, as did he, right? I guess so. And yet we still need to have normal consequences here. You can't go rob a bank or run over a family and go, oh, you did that to me last time. All right, you walk free. Right, right. Like it's a way of balancing in some sense, you know? And so that taught me so much about trauma in general and, and my trauma specifically because it made it, um, as odd as this may sound, you know, it made it purposeful for me. And you were able to overcome it where you can move through the world and just feel safe in your own body and skin? Yeah, I mean, it's completely, healing has completely changed my life. Every every aspect of life that is imaginable, healing has absolutely changed it. Rape is way more common than we want to admit. And I think the number's crazy, like 75, 80% don't report because they don't be believed. Why won't we acknowledge that? And why is so much of it permitted? Do you have any theories? Oh, goodness. You know, no, I, I'm not. I don't know what that is about. I know um, in my experience, I had one person who um, I thought didn't believe me, you know, because it was repressed. And so it was the way I had the conversation she was having with me it was like, oh, well, how do you know for sure it happens? <laughs> right. Which is so crazy, because with repression, once you once you remember or once it comes to your, you know, your consciousness, you remember everything in detail. I can remember his smell you know, um, 18 years later. So um, I don't know why that, I think it's just, again, it's kind of a, a attack on the feminine, you know, and it's a, it's a way to keep feminine energy kind of in control because if women never hear, never acknowledge their pain and never heal from their pain, then there is a whole lot of divine feminine energy that's never going to be actualized because this large group of women have not healed from their pain and often they protect then the patriarchy it's like this uh stockholm syndrome yeah absolutely you know it's, it's it has a function <laughs> it has a function it's incredible how fragile the male patriarchy is because it's terrified of the divine feminine 
isn't it? It's so afraid. Yeah. I mean, you know, it makes sense to me in a way, though, because, you know, women create penises. You know what I mean? Like we literally come out of us. And so I can imagine the fear of, of, you know, something that has that much power. Um, I can imagine what that must be like for, for, you know, men who are challenged with women, (laughs) you know, to put it nicely. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, you know, all of that, all of those systems are, are, are dying. And so we're going to really see patriarchy is going to show up and show out in all kinds of ways, the more that the divine feminine energy expresses itself. I mean, I think this is just the beginning, you know, it hasn't even really started yet. I love that thought. And why not just be in awe of it and bow to it and then cooperate with it? Because that's when we're at our most powerful, when we integrate with each other, integrate our own divine feminine inside the male and vice versa become integrated and then honor in the other as mirrors and then just benefit from that intuitive wisdom rather than try to dominate, be terrified of it. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we live in a culture though where we're told we have to choose. It's like either or, you know, instead of like this and, right. And so that's, that's like, that's the problem that people have, you know, it's like, it has to be patriarchy or the divine feminine and people understand it's actually going to be both we're moving into a space where it's going to be both you know masculine energy is never going to go away nor should it you know we just need to balance it more with feminine energy yeah and we're talking about toxic masculinity yeah and who am i to tell anyone who to love or like or what they want to think of themselves as long as they're not dominating or doing anything to someone else whether it's a religion or whatever if you're doing your thing god bless you Absolutely, because that's how we bring more new, more new into the world. So we need that. What would you say to the young women that are having challenges now? I just read a study, and I already know it because I talk to a lot of younger people and have friends with teenagers, especially young women. This study came out where they're really, they've never felt more sad for or insecure or worried about the future and loneliness. Suicide rates are way up and... You name it. It's not a good time. I think social media has a lot to do with it, isolation. And also, the you know, they sense that the Earth's going through changes, that we're destroying our ecosphere. And there's not economic opportunity like there was before. People trying to roll back rights. Of course, they're anxious and they're having a hard time. They're scratching their head going, what's going on? To me, it's, you know, there's a lot of reasons. And you know what I find most interesting, too? And I, I understand the honor and allowing people to use pronouns that they feel most comfortable with. But I find it really interesting that, you know, so many, um, so many females are not identifying with she, her, because she, her, again, is a divine feminine. It's so powerful. So I can see that as like another way that, you know, that divine feminine energy is being a little bit more um, suppressed, you know, because it's, it's, it's telling women that, oh, you don't have to identify with she, her. You can identify with they, them or something else. And for so many of us, that is your most powerful identifier, you know? And it's just very interesting to me that the whole pronoun conversation has come up because I don't know if that's an aspect of it that people have thought about. And we're so far beyond words, I mean, and labels. Yes. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's really about knowing who you are as a non-physical presence, which doesn't, which is genderless and doesn't have a a, a sex or label. 
Ebony, what inspires you to try to help and heal other people and to work in the world and work in these fields? Probably just the life change that my own healing journey has given me and, you know, understanding how purposeful, you know, healing is and, and really thinking about trauma in a different way. You know, like I said, for me, it was an offering. And so as horrible as that sounds, and I know, you know, people will think that I'm blaming myself or, you know, all kinds of things. Like none of that is true. I'm not blaming myself at all. I just think it's really important to have a non-judgment, expansive idea of your life, your individual life, and to really, you know, get to the root of why and how it is showing up for you in the way that it is. And that's how I think about it. Like it's showing up for us as opposed to us showing up for it. I love the flip there. And you feel, I can tell, the universe is constantly working for you on your behalf. You may not understand, but it's trying to help you. It is 100%. I mean, all the time, you know, all the things, even the things that don't feel good. You know, this is, I don't, I don't experience life as, uh, you know, it's, it's supposed to, it's work. It's like school, I guess. That's the best way I can say it. I think of life as school, you know, and in the same way that, you know, school challenges you and is hard, but you reap all the rewards when you, you know, you study, right? Life does the same thing. It's not meant to be, um, it's not meant to feel good all the time because if you, if you feel good all the time, you won't appreciate those moments when you actually have overcome something and you, I mean, it's joy when you experience joy, you know, you'll just know what feeling good is, but not what joy is. If I put you in a time machine and let you talk to your self at 10 or 12, what would you tell her today with all you've gone through and all you know? Oh, goodness. I would probably tell her to um, accept her intuition, you know, because um, and tell her that she's not bad <laughs> because that bad thing was so big for me. So I would definitely tell her to accept her intuition that she's not bad. But And I think the bad came from just being raised in a Christian family and, you know, being very specific about what God is and not knowing that God is also intuition, that God also lives inside of you, that God is everything. A more expansive vision of the whole thing. Can you imagine poor God? They made him look like an old white guy and then they stuck him in the church. He can't get out except on Sundays. I know it's terrible. It is so terrible. I mean, the fact that it's even like a person that people think of it as a person blows me away. It's just the most wonderful thing. And if we accept it all and don't resist it, we still have pain, but we don't have manufactured suffering because we're in resistance to what is. Absolutely. And we're able to move through the pain with greater ease and much faster, you know, much faster. I mean, so much of it is, you know, we judge what is instead of accepting it. And that judgment will really keep you stuck. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.